Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. The Contrarians is brought to you by Smarks Like Us Clothing and Avnio Films. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter at JamesAlexMattis and at Avnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Yes, this is the main theme from Star Wars Episode 3. Why, you might ask? It's simple. It's the best film in the franchise. Hello, and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm your host, as always, Alex, joined by my co-host, Julio. Julio, how are you doing today? Full of Christmas spirit. <laughs> it is Christmas time. We're fresh off Thanksgiving. Hope everyone had a good one. We were in the city of Philadelphia with... That uh, not even lovable loser, just a loser, Rocky Balboa. We travel from Philadelphia to the fictional town of Thayer, Massachusetts, as we join the Stone family for a wonderful Christmas, as this week's episode is The Family Stone. The town may be fictional, but the feelings are real. So we begin our journey with The the Family Stone in New York City with our two lead characters, Meredith and Everett, played by Sarah Jessica Parker, and the charismatic enigma, um, Dylan McDermott. From there, we are transported to aforementioned Thayer, Massachusetts, as it's the first time Meredith meets Everett's family, the, the family stone, and uh, first impressions don't go so well for Miss Meredith. It's a delight to see Sarah Jessica Parker playing against type. You know, we've, uh, we've grown to love her throughout the years, and so now she challenges herself by playing a, a character that's not lovable at all. And is purposely made up to look unattractive, whereas if Sarah Jessica Parker's one thing, it's just classically gorgeous, and this definitely goes against that. Yeah, well, it's, you know, I, I really appreciate all the risks that the filmmaker was taking. It was just, he knew that what we expect from Christmas movies, and he went against expectations, and, and it pays off. You just need to be ready to handle some uncomfortable moments and some awkwardness, and then, you know you reap some awesome Christmas rewards. So right away, as I mentioned, Dermot Maroney, Everett's family, is not a fan of Meredith at all, except for his brother Ben, who is played by Luke Wilson, who seems to fall head over heels in love with Meredith upon first sight. Excellent casting choice. I was really happy to see that they gave Luke Wilson a break here, because it seems like Owen Wilson is always, you know, scooping him when it comes to great roles. But here, they went with the right choice. You, you want the non-threatening Wilson brother, the one that feels wholesome, the one that will fit the tone of this movie. The Emilio Estevez of the Wilson exactly. brothers. Exactly. Yes. You don't want the scoundrel, you know, like Owen Wilson is always the one that, you know, you, you can't really trust. But this guy, no. Luke Wilson, you you know that she uh, should be better off with him. Through this, though, we meet the entire Stone family, which consists of the sister Amy, who already has met Meredith. Amy is, of course, played by Rachel McAdams, who is a little bit... Rachel McAdams, <laughs> so you don't have to say anything else. Everett has a gay brother named Thad, who has a black partner named Patrick, and these characters tools will come back into play later on in the movie. Older sister Susanna, and as we said, his uh, younger brother Ben, played by Luke Wilson. The parents, Sybil and Kelly, played by Craig T. Nelson and Diane Keaton. Excellent casting choices. Yes, Annie Hall and, you know, Craig T. Nelson, fresh off The Incredibles. I remember that was the main reason I watched the movie. Mr. Incredible, in the flesh, is now Mr. Stone. I wanted to see what he looked like. I'd never seen Coach in my life, and I was not disappointed. 
Not many people saw Coach, so you're okay with that. It just aired on USA continuously throughout the mid-90s. They want you to believe that it was a hit, but mm-hmm. no, it really, there's only eight episodes playing <laughs> As fun as it is being Christmas time, there seems to be a sense of gloom overhanging the Stone family as the viewers find out pretty quickly into it that Diane Keaton, Sybil Stone's character, is uh, sick. Seems to be something not too good. Immediately, thoughts of cancer come into play, and it appears that the oldest, the eldest child, Susanna, is the only one who knows until Ben, Luke Wilson, and Kelly, Craig T. Nelson, go off together on a walk, uh, smoke some marijuana, and it's revealed at that point in time to Ben that his mother is dying and not going to get better. Uh, A real choice acting moment, too, from Luke Wilson when he accepts this news. Yeah, yeah, that was was definitely, uh, it it sounds really weird, but it's a highlight of the movie whenever the actors break down and cry. Mm -hmm. It's, It's just beautiful to see them all bonding over cancer. It was just the kind of thing that holidays movies are made of. Mm-hmm. Everett, it, the viewers like to believe that he is aware of his mother's affliction and illness, but is in pure denial of it because he's acting, quite frankly, like a spoiled baby throughout the, the first act of the film. But you know what? I can identify with him, you know? I was like, he's the oldest, and he's trying to be perfect, and I think all of us who are, like, the oldest try to impress our parents, you know? I wish I could bring Sarah Jessica Parker, you know, just to, like, get them all worked up. Yeah, that's how he fights cancer, you know? He, by bringing uh, his bride-to-be and trying to make things better by getting married before his mom passes away. And just tries to draw the attention off of it with the, the gorgeous Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah, and, you know, all the hijinks that ensue. It was like, you know, they say laughter is the best medicine and you know that I think that's what really what he was trying to do he's trying to also find his mother throughout the course just get a moment alone with her so he can get uh, his grandmother's wedding ring which he was promised because it's clear that his intentions are to marry Sarah Jessica Parker but Diane Keaton's doing everything she can not to be alone with Mr. Dylan McDermott yeah and that's where like the really 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 clever title of the movie comes to play because it's not just the family stone but it's the family stone as in the stone that he's trying to get from his mom the stone that he's going to put on the ring finger of Sarah Jessica Parker I'm going to be incredibly candid with you right now that thought had not come into my mind are you fucking kidding me Alex (laughs) Mattis The poster of the movie <laughs> is the ring. I, I'm sorry. I, I don't really look... These things kind of wash over me sometimes, so I'm just now accepting that. You just, know what? I don't believe You were enthralled by everything else I'll do. I was sucked the into the acting and, the, and right. just the whole ambiance of the film. It, it engages you that that did not wash over me until just now. And did it ever cross your mind that it was maybe Craig T. Nelson's kidney stones that were referenced in the title? It could have been. It could have been. Or uh, the stones that were cast at Meredith from the family. Excellent. So. Excellent interpretation. I don't think that you can be blamed for missing the obvious. I think there's a lot of interpretations. I think very similar to the end of um, the incredible film Dark Knight Rises. I think it's open to many interpretations. As to right. Is Diane Keaton really dead at the end? We don't know. Is she a ghost? Yeah. Maybe she's Was having, she there ever to begin with? She's having breakfast with Anne Hathaway in Paris. Actually, the family stone is Diane Keaton's heart, which has hardened like stone when she got her diagnosis. And it melts into a regular heart throughout the course of the movie. As all of ours do. Cause uh, absolutely, We yes. go into this as very cynical, jaded moviegoers, but I think we're all just turned into normal, happy, shiny people. By yeah, the we go into it expecting a regular holiday movie. We think that we know what we're going to get, and what we get instead is just like this really tough love story, this really nasty family that does these really nasty things to this outsider, but by the end, they've all learned how to be better people. So, in a sense, Sarah Jessica Parker was just there to teach them a lesson about themselves. And they taught her a lesson as well, because they teach her how to loosen up. 
you know, she goes on a journey. When she first arrives at that house, she's uptight. She seems unable to have any sort of fun and be confident in herself. And then by the end of the movie, she's banging Luke Wilson. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if that doesn't mean that you've arrived, doesn't mean that you've, like, made it in life, I don't know what She's else. cut loose. Yeah. Yeah. I think also that maybe the Meredith character was just a precursor to Carrie Bradshaw because I think by the end of this movie she's a lot closer to Carrie than she was at the beginning. Yeah, I think that it might be you could in some weird universe see The Family Stone as a prequel to Sex and the City. That's the problem with movies like this that are just loaded with a dynamite star-studded A++ list cast. I mean, like, there's so many different stories it's so hard to keep track of what's going on and what plays. Right, because it could be a sequel to Mean Girls with Rachel McAdams' character. Finally but, growing up. Yeah, yeah, growing up, but she's still a bitch. Yes. You know? She's still really mean. and She's and still a mean girl. She finds love and then hopefully she goes on to better things. Maybe it's a prequel to Red Eye. She becomes too much of a good person and then ends up being, you know, victimized in the parking lot and so on. This movie is a nexus of so many good things. Before uh, Miss Rachel McAdams can grow up, Amy, the character, she manages to piss uh, Meredith, Sarah Jessica Parker, off so much to the point where Meredith is going to go downtown to uh, Thayer's only bed and breakfast and stay there. She likes to go there instead of staying in the house. To which Dermot Maroney is just irate. He's tired of the family picking on his bride-to-be and has a stern talking to. Oh yeah, he tells him what's up. He, he He's had enough. He lays down the law in a scene only, I think I could equate to the scene in Unforgiven, where Clint Eastwood threatens everyone, says, any man that shoots at me, I'm going to find you and kill your family and burn down your farm. And he informs the family that Meredith's sister, Julie, is now coming to town. I did see some echoes of Eastwood's performance on Devon Moroni's. I mean, the way that he just, like, had only one side of his face moving, mm -hmm. that, that was very interesting. His I, mouth never opened more than a few inches. It didn't need to, because, you know, he was just saying everything he needed to with just that, that little air gap. Yeah, and, and that's where, like, the film deploys its secret weapon about 30 minutes in, maybe a little more, which is the sister played by... Claire Danes. Uh, Claire Danes. First build, Claire Danes. First billing. Above For, Diane Keaton. Fresh off the heels of the sci-fi blockbuster Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, Claire Danes exits the Greyhound bus in Thayer, Massachusetts, and sparks immediately fly. We see yes. that Julie and Everett are meant to be... But, but but don't get comfortable thinking that this is just like a romantic comedy. No, no, no. I mean, the first thing she does after locking eyes with the Moroni is fall on her face. She telling... falls head over heels, in fact. Oh, that's very clever. But also, it tells you, I'm here to play. I, I'm not here to... She's there to be the fun one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She certainly, like, makes things a lot livelier once she gets there. She gets to the house, and it's uh, right off the bat, the family stone is just enthralled with Julie. They're done with Meredith. They kind of just shun her aside, and all the attentions falling on Julie and Meredith is very jealous, and rightfully so, of this. It leads to the most uncomfortable scene of the entire film when we have the family dinner on Christmas Eve that segues to some very uncomfortable topics and situations. We had spoke weeks ago of Alien 3 with David Fincher and his take on the pro-life issue, or the pro-choice issue, as it were. In this film, I think there was a lot of discussion of the nature versus nurture. So. It, is, it is the kind of thing that you talk about during the holidays, you know, that's when you get together with the people you love and that's when you really cut loose with the things that have been, you know, bothering you all year, like all those really hard-hitting questions. Something that the movie doesn't shy away from is the fact that love is the answer to those hard-hitting questions. Sarah Jessica Parker gets there and starts questioning whether it was a good thing that her fiancé's brother 
is gay, you know. Wanting to adopt. And... Yeah, it, she basically poses the question, of, wouldn't it be better for a kid, wouldn't you wish that your son was quote-unquote normal, mm-hmm. because that would make it easier on him? That sets the entire family off. Obviously, it's a hot button, and it's not received well. But you know what? Somebody needs to ask these questions, and Christmas is the best time, because that's when we're all together, and that's when we can figure it all out together. You know, they don't see it at the time, but I think that family is stronger because she asked those questions. You know, there's some there's some raised voices, there's some tears, there's some like angry looks, but the next day that family knows where they stand when it comes to that issue. And it's because of all the events that also transpire over the course of the evening. Because basically the family shuns Meredith away and she just runs for the hills. She's, yeah. she's done with it. You know what? I would have, if Craig T. Nelson had like looked at me the way he did and... Shouted at me? Yes. I would have, I wouldn't have gone today and I would have just left the country. He has that distinct dad voice of that makes you kind of tense up. And but t- he's the nice dad. The one that's nice and that's why it's so scary when he finally gets angry. Yes. You know? Because he's really, he's kind of like a teddy bear the entire movie except in that moment it's like your friend's dad who you just think you can't piss off until you spill the rc cola on the white carpet and then he just starts shouting it's a it's an intimidating sight but meredith just books it and gets into everett's car not the best bit of writing here that we uh, try to tell the audience that women can't drive but sarah jessica parker just has no idea how to operate this car but see i think if you look deeper actually what it's telling you is that whenever you have you see a woman like drive poorly it's not her fault. It's because some man yelled at her and, you know, ah. got all frizzled out. So, yeah, it's not her fault. It's Obviously, I would be driving poorly in that situation, too. If Craig T. Nelson had just shouted at me, I don't think I could operate a lawnmower, much less a car. Exactly. I would have walked out of the country, not driven. <laughs> so, Luke Wilson, Ben, goes to the rescue of Meredith to make sure that she's okay. She immediately starts crying and he just takes control of the vehicle and uh, assures her that he knows where they can go. So they scurry off. It's then that Everett and Julie parry off and say that they're going to go find where wherever Ben and Meredith went. Let's be honest. It doesn't look like they're looking hard enough. No. They're more interested in having a conversation. About they're walking the city square and just <laughs> discussing, they're going in circles, yeah. discussing the this and that of their lives. It's interwoven with clips of Meredith and Ben at the local tavern, just yucking it up, having some drinks. And uh, we get a really fantastic just back and forth with Luke Wilson and Sarah Jessica Parker where he's trying to teach her how to chill out. And it's a, it's a really great really cute scene i really appreciate the way this movie doesn't vilify getting drunk you know what some people need to get drunk in order to be better usually movies take there's no gray area you know either drinking is bad or drinking is awesome but getting buzzed which is what happens to her just a part here she drinks enough to where she has a good buzz going Mm -hmm. and suddenly her hair comes down and she's dancing and she's funny and she's not self-conscious and I like that message. The movie's telling you, you know what? Sometimes drinking is okay. Sometimes you need to have a few drinks to Just like be the, the better version off. of you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Luke Wilson knows that, and he passes on that knowledge to Sarah Jessica Parker. And yeah. it's delightful to watch. It is. And sometimes we all just need a few drinks to become the inner Carrie Bradshaw. And then, you know what? As a reward for her losing up, then the film deploys secret weapon number two, comedy god Paul Schneider. As uh, his character, Brad Stevenson, enters, he's briefly mentioned earlier in the film when Sybil, the mother, brings up Brad Stevenson as the man who took Amy's virginity, or popped her cherry, as it were. I honestly can't believe that he's not more popular in town, you know, if he's the guy that nailed Rachel McAdams. You would think he would just be like a local god. I know, it's, I mean, he's a They would have a, a framed portrait of him up at the bar there. He's an ambulance driver. 
Oh, he's. I thought he was a cop. No, that makes sense now. Oh. Yeah, that makes it. Now the ending makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so he's the local ambulance driver, and obviously remembers Luke Wilson from high school, and goes up to Ben, and they begin catching up, and introduces him to Meredith, who immediately recognizes the name, and in her drunken state, invites him over for Christmas. The next yeah, and it's it's weird because he actually seems kind of embarrassed of having like of being Rachel McAdams first, and it's like, come on, dude, you really have been bragging about this? If I had <laughs> sex with Rachel McAdams, it would be my lifetime achievement. That's like the thing I would never let go. Right, it much be... like Christian Bale in The Fighter, how he always talks about how he knocked down Sugar Ray Leonard. I would all be like, yeah, well, I nailed Rachel McAdams. All right, what you got? Yeah, what what do you have? on me Nothing. yeah that's uh, that would be like you, you know, want my, fries with that my facebook profile would be nail rich mccadams that's all you would need yep your twitter bio that's all you need yep once a week i would once a day i would tweet him like, hey just so you remember i did this i was the first so you're welcome i was the first to lay siege to this kingdom so she invites him over for Christmas the next morning. To this point, though, where Ben and Meredith kind of wind the night down and they end up just alone together. And probably the most prolific scene of the movie, Ben describes a dream he had about Meredith in which she was a girl with a shovel scooping up snow and he was the snow, in the sense, sweeping him dead off his feet. Just when you think that you got the movie figured out, it turns into this really artsy <laughs> Film. It stops being a movie, it becomes a film with this European symbolism. Yeah, I really needed to have a drink after that because that was, uh, I was not expecting that. And literally, there's a different like lens used for that. The, the lighting, the, the, yeah, everything. Yeah, it, was, it was perfect. It was almost like you were watching a completely different movie. Uh, a still from that will be like the Criterion cover, I feel. Yes. Yeah. Blended image of like, you know, her shot, his shot as they're looking at each other. I could see that. Yeah. We go back to Everett and Julie, who are still just talking about God knows what. And it's a very apparent. Everett's coming on a bit strong, I feel like. But you know what? I understand. You know, the poor guy. He's like, his mom has cancer. He is in denial. And it's the holidays, which always stress you out. Sometimes, I think that Everett is a cautionary tale. He's supposed to tell us guys. It's like, hey, look at this guy and be on the lookout for whenever you start behaving like him. You know, he's, uh, he means well, but he, he is being a little creepy. I think he is just an emotional wreck, though. I think he's in denial about his mother and also about Meredith being the woman he wants to marry, and he very potentially just met the actual love of his life. And He's going through a lot of shit, and yeah, it's yeah, yeah. causing him to act like a, a real creepy wreck. Yeah, Claire Danes, I mean, she's very understanding about this whole thing. She's very cautious as well. She doesn't invite him in. She doesn't go for coffee, you know, with him later. Because she knows what that means. She's a, she's a sharp cat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, coffee, we're all adults here. Yeah. You invite somebody for, out for coffee in At, the middle you know, of the night. Yeah, on Christmas. Yeah, come on, that yeah. is, you know what that coffee is. You know where it's coming from. Everett heads back home. Julie's in her room and hears a knock at the door. When She runs back a bit too excitedly only to find Everett 50 years from now as it's the father, Kelly, Craig T. Nelson, who's gone searching for all his kids and can only really find Julie at this point, he's just like, all right, well, fuck it, I'm going home to my wife. I'm going home to have sex with my wife while I still can. Yeah, that's right. He arrives back home as Susanna is still up watching Last Dance in St. Louis. A another, like, very powerful scene in the film is Kelly goes to bed, and it's kind of a kick in the gut because he realizes this is his last Christmas with his wife. One of the last times he's ever going to have sex with his wife. Yes. Before that, I mean, before that, he gets... It, it's all... It builds up because he first... He stops to say hi to Susanna or goodnight to Susanna who's watching TV while Amy's passed out next to her. And, you know, she's just got off the phone with her husband who's missing 
most of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, he comforts his daughter because she obviously is upset that her husband's not coming home and she's pregnant. Sidebar, Susanna's husband seems like a real douchebag. Yeah, the, uh, the only thing I don't like about this movie, you know, yeah. he, he just shows up at the end and nobody gives him shit for missing, you know, most of the celebration. I feel like for as, as tight as that family is, you'd think they would give someone who does that, like, a lot of shit. Right, I mean, they, they really, they should only take it all out on, on, on Meredith. Yeah. So why, why'd this guy do that, that made him special so they won't bother him? That's, I don't know. I don't know, maybe maybe that'll be in the prequel. Uh, there's a deleted scene somewhere where like, somewhere, they just yeah. like beat him up. But yeah, it's it's good though. I mean, Craig Nelson does a good job because eventually uh, Susanna grows up to be in Twilight. Mm. She's like the main vampire mom. She's in all four movies or five, however many there are. And uh, you know, so it alters out well for her. That parental guidance is instilled in her from a young yeah, age. Craig T. Nelson made sure that her kids, his kids, would be uh, in a good place later on. Christmas Night closes with Judy Garland's rendition of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas as Kelly and Sybil embrace in a, a beautiful Christmas moment. Tell me what you think, Alex. Is it implied that they have sex, or did they just cuddle? Yeah, she begins disrobing. I think it's it's pretty... But it's so sad. I don't know it that is that very I could, sad. I mean, correct me, Nelson, that's... Uh, could you have sex under those know. circumstances? That was that. That would be one of the worst situations a human being could ever be in, knowing it's your last Christmas with like the love of your life. I the fact that we're asking ourselves these questions just tells you how deep this movie cuts. It, because, it, but it's not just them. I mean, that the little musical montage visits every single character mm-hmm. we've met. So we see, you know, Susanna watching TV, obviously with Amy next to her, and then you see. Uh, Luke Wilson and Sarah Jessica Parker uh, asleep in the car asleep in the car in a very cute you know after sharing his dream and then Thad and Patrick walking holding hands yes back to because hotel. that was like a few years ago so gay rights were not that advanced so all you could do is like show him holding hands but they're even so then they're still the most like normal stable adjusted relationship in the entire film revolutionary for its time and a shot, of course, of Julie looking out her window, wait, waiting for Everett to make his triumphant return. That just doesn't come. But we cut to the morning after, and what we're greeted with is Meredith asleep in Ben's bed. And Kelly, Craig T. Nelson, comes a-knocking at the door, wondering where Ben is, and opens the door only to find a topless Sarah Jessica Parker laying in bed. I think the walk of shame was given new meaning by this scene. It's one of the things where, like, uh, God bless you, movie, I know you're trying, but... Nobody thinks that they really had sex because we would have seen them have sex. That's <laughs> that's the kind of I mean it's a comedy, so I understand why we wouldn't see Craig T. Nelson and Keaton having sex because that would be really sad. But <laughs> drunk Luke Wilson and drunk Sarah Jessica Parker having sex, we would have seen that. There's yes. no way that director, as much you know, he shows he's shown throughout the entire movie that he knows what's funny. You know, he's making a movie about the Yankee and having cancer. So, obviously, he would have gone with a good five-minute sex scene between drunk Luke Wilson and Sarah Jessica Parker. So, the fact that we didn't see that tells us that, no, they didn't have sex. Come on. But, Craig T. Nelson opening the door, that's going to be the first thing he assumes. Right, of course. That's why why it's brilliant. I mean, that and the fact that Craig T. Nelson is at the top of his game here. Actually, from, I mean, he's great in the entire movie, but from this point on, it's just like every time the movie cuts to a reaction shot of him, it's just pure gold. (laughs) That any of those shots could be submission for the Oscars, like, any year, even if he's not, like, he has been in the movie the entire year. It's like, hey, remember Craig T. Nelson, the family stunt? Give him an award. He's just uh, mortified to what he's discovered. We go to the kitchen, though, wherever it is, and he's just making himself a cup of joe. When Sybil comes up and presents him with the ring that he's been so desperately desiring, 
This is probably the best scene of the movie. I, I think so. The high point of the movie I, that is, you know, in this lovely holiday comedy, <laughs> the high point of the movie is when the mom and her oldest son have to acknowledge the fact that she's dying. Mr. Maroney drops all the denial and finally just lets a rip and he is uh, an inconsolable mess, as would probably be the case in anyone in that situation. Pretty brutal to see him basically bawl next to his mom. The tears... Quickly turn to elation, though, as Julie enters the room. And in a very strange moment, I'm still, you know, years after this film, not sure why, he takes the ring and he wants to put it on Julie to see if it'll fit Meredith, despite the fact that they're two completely different women. Well, you know, I think he was just seizing the day, you know, which is something that this movie is pushing its viewers to do. If you can bring, you know, get something out of this movie after watching it, is that, you, you know, life is short, and why would you marry Sarah Jessica Parker when you could marry Claire Danes? He just shared a few moments with her the previous night. I don't think he's trying to, like, see if the ring fits. You know, he's just trying to see if the ring fits Claire Danes. He doesn't care about Sarah Jessica Parker anymore. So it's it's really the search for true love encompassed in that one scene. So it's only fitting that it fits her perfectly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And then the ring won't come off afterwards. So what does that tell you? She's the one. So she immediately takes a powder into the bathroom and is just freaking out when Meredith appears, uh, reappears from the upstairs area, causing a bit of confusion, but there's too much chaos for anyone to really focus on it. Oh yeah, it's Christmas morning and now the movie's reaching its third act. So we've, really... we've gone into fourth gear at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right now it's like everything is happening. I, yeah. I'm pretty sure either before or then... We like, went you know, first to four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul Schneider shows up to pay off his previous appearance with like flowers and a present. And of course nobody knew that he was coming. And, and Meredith is uh, locked in this bathroom with her sister now as they are both to unveil their secrets to one another. Julie unveils the, the ring that is going to be proposed to Meredith, and Meredith, more or less, without actually saying it, tells her that she had a, a fun night with the brother. Yeah, I think I missed something. I don't know how, like, she just kept smelling the soap, and I don't know how that translated into, I just fucked my fiancé's brother. But that apparently does. I guess there's, like, some secret code that they had, they shared, maybe. Every time they slept with someone they weren't supposed to, they smell soap. It was just, like, the sign. Yeah. I'm not sure. Have you seen me smelling soap I just got some and it was not from the right person I, I could see that all the cards are on the table and so they go out to the family and it's time to exchange gifts and this is the Meredith's vindication right here because she shows them it's it just like that's a movie telling you you know what you are picking on this person the entire time and they completely show you what's up when they, it's time to give you presents she had found a picture of Sybil when she was pregnant with, I believe it was Amy. Right, she thought it was she was pregnant with uh, Deborah Roney, but yeah. yeah, but no, it was. It turns out to have been Amy. It's a really lovely picture, and she gets it blown up and framed and printed for everyone in the family. And it's just the holiday hit. Yeah, that's that's something I also appreciate about that. You know, not many movies recognize, especially in this age of like digital media and film kind of going away. You know, standard film, like a movie that really recognizes the healing power of black and white photography. Mm -hmm. That just, you know, you don't see that very often, but this movie embraces it on its climax, basically. Yeah. You know, what fixes all the friction between the family and Meredith? Black and white portrait of a pregnant Diane Keaton. You wouldn't see that in a normal movie. You know? I'm really glad that Instagram's kind of bringing it back, the whole black and white. I thing. like that there's that black and white filter that mm -hmm. kind of like lets you, you know, share share more black and white pictures on Christmas. That's And if you need surprised. any more evidence of its healing power, black and white photography, Family Stone. Yeah, I mean, you know what? It doesn't have to be a picture of a pregnant woman. 
that would probably help. Mm -hmm. But at the very least, try a, a black and white portrait of yourself. Give it to people on Christmas, and you you might actually end up having like more friends than you do right now. But it's at this point after this where the the movie just becomes a free for all. Obviously, we've reached a point where like everything has to come out. So mm -hmm. Dylan McDermott he begins trying to request to speak to Meredith in, in private. And she... She just won't have it, because she's like, you know what? We have ten minutes of movie left, so we need to have this out in the open. <laughs> There's she... no time for private talks. We need to make it funny. And she just blurts out, you know, I'm not going to marry you. And just like fucking Han Solo said, I know, he just owns her <laughs> and says, I didn't ask you. That is brutal. Yeah. Okay, guys, if you're in love with a woman, even if you were not planning to propose, you need to tell her more, you know, let her down gently. Don't yeah. say that in front of your family. That that's, is brutal. That Yeah, that's just the smackdown to end all smackdowns. I wasn't going to ask you anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> and then she just, in a moment of just panic and disbelief, and her pride got the best of her, she just admits to having spent the night with, Luke Wilson, Ben. Which is kind of a shame and kind of not. I mean, it's kind of a shame because she had the moral high ground. She had just won them over with the picture. You know, she was on top of her game. Yeah. She could have just dropped the mic and walked out of that house and she would have been the winner all the years to come. Whenever they told the story. They would she have had him something. here, but then she dropped him. Yeah, yeah. She, you know, she had to admit to sleeping with, or what, to thinking that she had slept with Luke Wilson and that. that but then she just gets owned again when he says exactly. we didn't sleep together. Yeah, she's just, oh, come on, Sarah Jessica Parker. But that's all right. You know what? That's part of her journey. Mm -hmm. That is, it's not just about, the family stone is not just about the family stone learning to be better people through their interaction with Jessica Parker. So Sarah Jessica Parker learning to be a better person through their interaction with them. Yeah. And, you know, that is that was necessary. She needed to be humiliated twice in a row. Her hitting this lowest of low will allow her to get to the highest of high we're about to hit here in a moment. Yes, exactly. So, you know, it happens. So she powders off to the kitchen because she's going to make up her special dish for the day. Rachel McAdams and Diane Keaton go after her just to make sure she's okay. Of course, ensuing in a, a hilarious moment where they spill the dish on her, so there's just egg and dough. and That was like, you know, they don't make pratfalls like they used to, no. and I'm glad that that one captured the spirit of the classic pratfall, where you just get food on yourself and food on the floor, and people keep sleeping on it, and there's like laughter and tears. and that is You don't see that combination in movies these days. Immediately, Dermot Maroney wants answers, so he jets after Luke Wilson, Everett is trying to track down his brother Ben because he's going to give him a serious noogie, and you know the Nutcracker score playing in the background. It's just, it's just a plus filmmaking. You can't go wrong with the Nutcracker score, especially also, used for comedic purposes. I, I mean, I'll be fair. I knew it was coming because the movie opened with whatever it is that plays at the beginning of Die Hard. They open with that, you know, they have to close with Nutcracker. Pandemonium all over. With the two brothers fighting and the three women crying and laughing and everything comes together. Craig T. Nelson's trying to keep him, like, you know, from hurting each other. It's a, it's a big explosion of feelings. Yeah, and the entire time Paul Schneider is there, like, he becomes a surrogate for the audience. Mm -hmm. Because he's laughing and then he realizes it's awkward that he's laughing and, you know, he's confused. And he's trying to bang Rachel McAdams. So he's basically like every single guy that's watching the movie. Yes, yeah. yeah. During this free-for-all, the poignant moment comes when... Everett and Ben are grappling on the ground and just kind of... They're kind of just having a slap fight, but both men get color. They both get busted open during it. So it's it's a bit serious. Ben just pins them down and says, you don't even love her. And it's just at that moment where it just washes over all of us what's going on. It, it's like, yeah, it's like this wave of self-realization that just washes over the entire kitchen. You know, it hits every single person there. So everyone kind of goes their separate ways. Christmas kind of hits an awkward standstill. 
Julie takes off. She's very uncomfortable, rightfully so, and embarrassed with everything that's happened. She's gotten the ring off and gives it to Susanna's daughter, Elizabeth. Uh, and she just books it for the train station. Uh, Everett, the one where Ronnie, realizes that's a good time to take a shower, apparently. Yeah. Because the next time you see him, he's just, like, drying off. <laughs> and then realizes, wait. <laughs> oh, the, the potential love of my life might be leaving. <laughs> the... So he he books it for the train station once he becomes aware of that. On yeah. foot? Didn't he have a car? What the hell? Like He, he takes just... off on foot, but um, Thad, his brother, and Kelly, his father, follow him in his car. Yeah, and he, understandably so. He's a bit blown up when they get there. He's he's huffing and puffing, but they finally get to the train station. During all this, the reunion of Brad and Amy occurs as he gives her his Christmas gift, which is a delightful snow globe. And you see right there that the sparks on the night she lost her virginity are still there. I'll be honest. I was a little confused by the significance of the snow globe. Because, you know, I've tried that move before and it doesn't really work. I guess you it's, just it's, have to catch a, a girl at the right moment of emotional vulnerability. Maybe. It has to be, like, on the Christmas day where her entire family went crazy. And, and then, it's the last Christmas you're spending with your mother. Exactly. Yeah, I can see. Okay, well, I need to try harder. Then. Yeah, you just need to time it right. It's all about timing. Yeah, and, because and it works for him. That. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It works for Brad perfectly. Uh, apparently, he spends hours making out with Rachel McAdams after that. And if you're going after a girl as hot as Rachel McAdams, you definitely need to have the timing perfect to get it all right. That's the last we see of them. I mean, until the last, until the epilogue, uh, Rachel McAdams kind of like straddling him, and, and they're about to kiss. Hours later, whenever douchebag business dad finally shows up, he's like, "Hey, who's he? Who's she making out with?" His one it's like hours movie. later. Yeah. yeah. Well, good for Brad because he I one, know, once it, again, yeah, the gold trophy. That that dude's like one line in a movie rewards everybody else in the audience. You know, you it's like, want, oh, you good wanna, for him. Yeah, good for Brad. He's man. still going at it. There's still there are probably people like dialing nine one one, and this guy's missing ambulance rides. But you know what? At least he he, he just got together he, with, he just put up the back in five minutes sign. <laughs> So Everett is looking for Julie, he finds her at the train station, and they have their little back and forth, and it's straining as an audience member, because you just want them to embrace so bad, you don't quite get that. You know they belong together, and they really, the movie really works you, because she actually gets on the bus and drives away, you know, you just don't think she's coming back. Because you haven't seen any other romantic comedies ever in your life, so you think. Well, even if you have it, the bus goes a little bit further than most romantic comedies. That is true. I think it goes I to the see, end of the block. I can see the hand of the filmmaker just going like, "No, you know, most normal buses go like yeah. a couple. You go a little further." Yeah. So he runs back, and she's not quite ready to commit to anything. She just wants to know what he's doing on New Year's. Oh yeah, so. they don't even get to share a kiss. No. So you might cool your jets, throw more money. You're not that great. You yeah. need to, you're gonna have to work for this one. But we go back to the house, and Meredith goes searching for Ben. They have a very sweet and tender moment on the bed and Ben's bed that they had spent the night in previously. Well, first he tells her to change her clothes because she smells like puke. Yeah, which you would think for how high strung her character's been, she would have known to change her clothes by this point. But I think it's just the whole. Well, she's a different woman now. All the emotion from the day is just worn on her. I think the food and excess on her clothes just symbolize it's like a physical interpretation of all the emotion that's just coming out. Absolutely. She's just. She's literally wearing her emotions Mm. in the shape of food. Ben provides her with some pretty dope threads. I think she has a good band t-shirt on or whatever. And they lay in bed together and begin humming Joy to the World as it begins to snow in Thayer, Massachusetts. And unfortunately, it's going to be the last we ever see of Diane Keaton and the Family Stone as she just watches it snow and knows it's time for dinner. And then we just fade to black. 
We fade into Christmas the following year, where everything's a, a bit more clear, but... But there's no Diane Keaton. There is no Diane Keaton. She's gone. We arrive at the house. Thad and Patrick have adopted their child that they were hoping for, but um, there's only one parent inhabiting that house, and it's Craig T. Nelson. He's done a good job with the tree. Mm-hmm. He has. We see our couples are all set, because Brad and Amy are still together. And then we successfully pulled off the old the, the Texas switch, where we've got now Meredith and Ben together, and Julie and uh, Dylan Maroney is in there. So. And in a way, I mean, Diane Keaton's still there, because there's that picture, that awesome black and white picture that Meredith gave them the previous Christmas. It's hanging there, so mm-hmm. she's watching them come together as a family, as they should. And we fade to black, and you begin to realize what you've just experienced. Yeah, it makes you, you you kind of feel like you're part of the family as well. You feel like you lost Diane Keaton, and you feel like you just gained like a whole bunch of new crazy relatives. You're just waiting for Craig T. Nelson's Christmas card this year. It's interesting, our last episode, Rocky, was the first Best Picture winner that we've done. This one was up for several awards. Uh, Rachel McAdams, though, really hit a home run for her performance as Amy was bestowed the prestigious Teen Choice Award for Best Actress in a Comedy. Felt though, Well deserved. I mean... I felt there could have been a lot more dealt out, but uh, it, w- it was a crowded year 2005 was. I also think that, you know, like, like whenever we talk about Alien 3, you know, and things that... The danger of a filmmaker playing against expectations is that instant acceptance doesn't happen. You mm-hmm. know, it takes a few years for people to process what they've seen and to really appreciate it. So at the time, they, they probably didn't realize how awesome this movie was. Well, they, yeah, in Alien 3, we, we were talking about it's been 20 years since, and it's not even been 10 for Family Stone. So I think not only will our appreciation grow in the years to come, but I think just general consensus will also just skyrocket. Yeah, I mean, you know, at the time, I cannot think of, even though I read it uh, like an hour ago, I can't think of the writer-director's name, mm-hmm. but maybe in 10 years he'll be as famous as David Fincher once, like, you know, everything hits. Thomas Bazucha was the director. There you go. Yes, and this was one of two films that he wrote and directed. You want to talk about someone who just dropped the mic and walked walked out? Like I think this is that's what he did with this. It's just like I'm here, motherfuckers, but I'm done. Like this is all you're gonna get. What was the other film? Uh, It was a small film that wasn't even released wide. I I thought it was Monte Carlo, but I guess that was written by someone else. <laughs> that was just him, you know. He had to pay the bills. Yeah, exactly. Right? And he was a really huge Selena Gomez fan, probably. As we all are. I, I really, I mean, there's plenty of things to be grateful if you watch this movie. You, you're really grateful that you saw it, obviously. Mm-hmm. But then you also appreciate just all the wisdom, all the wisdom that the, the filmmaker and its crew and his crew like really share with you. I, I really like everything it has to say about life. Terminal illnesses are this thing that you know are, are prevalent in our you know lifetime. We're always afraid of them, and you never know how you're going to have to deal with them if it ever happens to you. And this movie tells you what the best way to deal with them is, you know, holiday hijinks. That's, you know, that's, that will make everything... Sleep with your brother's girlfriend. (laughs) I mean, I guess that's another movie (laughs) if you want to do that. But yeah, I I think it's a movie about tough love, you know. Tough love makes Sarah Jessica Parker a better person than she was when she met the Family Stone. Tough love also helps them face off against cancer. Mm Mm-hmm. It tells you what to do in life whenever you find yourself in these situations. It tells you what to do when you got lemons. Yeah. Make lemonade and bang your brother's fiance. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it, and and it celebrates. Now be nice to like, your mother. 
Yeah, you know, because you don't know how much longer. Come on. The yeah. next movie, you might be staring at just a black and white picture of her instead of, you know, herself. It's, and he also promotes, like, all this healthy lifestyle choices. You know, like I said, it's not shy about telling you that it's okay to drink sometimes mm-hmm. when you need to, like, cut loose. And, There's you nothing know, wrong with the alternative lifestyles or anything like absolutely. that? Absolutely. You know what? He's deaf. The other guy's black. They're both gay. And it worked. they're the best characters in the movie. So, yes. you know what? I don't think they were pandering at all. I think they really meant it. They were really, yeah. they were really going with it. And love at first sight, a lot of people, like, you know, they are very cynical about it. But I think Dermot Maroney and Claire Dane show you that that happens sometimes. You yeah. know, sometimes you just see her fall off the bus and then you know that you're going to break up with your fiancé and... Pass her off to your brother. Yeah, pass her off to your brother and hook up with the sister. It's just, sometimes it's just the way it is. And that's Christmas. I think the movie's telling you ultimately that sometimes people make horrible mistakes in their life because they think they're in love they use this love to justify horrible mistakes and it takes they use it as a blanket exactly you know i'm doing like you know devil moroni he's marrying the wrong woman his life is going the wrong direction you know he's obviously not not following his dreams but he is saying that it's all because he's in love and sometimes you do need a horrible judgmental family to tell you that that's not how things are, you know? And if the horrible judgmental family is not enough, then you need cancer to like kind of like wake you up and make you realize that, oh, no, maybe I should hook up with Claire Danes instead because <laughs> I could be dead tomorrow. So I really appreciate that it's, it's, a, it's a nice, funny holiday movie, but also hits you with some harsh truth mm-hmm. that, that, you know, you need to hear sometimes, especially around the holidays because that's when you're the most vulnerable and when you'll be able to absorb this knowledge the most. You ready for some real talk? Uh, I need to piss first. T-shirts, T-shirts, T-shirts. Hundreds of thousands of wrestling T-shirts, all for you to buy. Starring all of your favorite wrestlers. Daniel Bryan, Bret Hart Goes to Montreal, Some Dead Guy, The Blackjacks, Mulligan and Lanza, Not Wyndham and Bradshaw. Wrestling! SmartsLikeUs.com, SmartsLikeUs.com, SmartsLikeUs.com. Selling you wrestling T-shirts. Also available, buttons, stickers, and kitty cats. Meow. So The Family Stone was released on December 16th, 2005, the budget of $18 million for a box office gross of $92 million. Stands at a egregious 51% on Rotten Tomatoes, but is just a delightful film. I legitimately enjoy The Family Stone. Okay, so this is the first episode where we actually differ here. Here we go. During the real talk. I, I don't think it's a horrible movie, and I certainly liked it better this time. It's the second time I watched it. I watched it when it first came out. I liked it a little better, but I still think it has some serious tonal issues. They bothered me more the first time I watched it, because the first time I saw it, I thought I was watching a comedy, like a full-on comedy. I think the trailer sold it as a comedy, not as a movie where Diane Keaton has cancer, and her family is just full of really nasty people. You know, so when you're watching it, it just... It has this weird moment where it's, like, really serious about the cancer stuff and Mm -hmm. about, like, some of the really serious... And those things work on their own. But then you alternate those with, like, the really crazy comedy where people are, like, falling and, like, spilling stuff and being really silly. And that doesn't work for me. It's like, I have, like, choose one or the other. Having both together, it doesn't work quite well. Especially because because they're being so real and so... They're great actors, all of them. Mm-hmm. So they're so sincere in the in the dramatic parts that they really come across as fake in the in the funny moments, the, yeah. the comedic parts. And so they come across as just fake. It bothers me. I hate the fact that they're so, like, phony uh, when they're trying to be funny. 
And yet, you know, I hated it the, the first time I watched it, and this time, you know, it's really sad when, when you know, every time that there's a, a scene that has to do with Diane Keaton's cancer, I really, we didn't mention it when we were talking earlier, but one of the few things I remember from the first time I watched it was when one of the daughters just gets in bed with her, you know, mm-hmm. because she knows what's happening, and there's no dialogue really there, it's just like, you just see them be sad together. So when it's working on that level, it works for me. When it's trying to be funny, not so much. All those things you're saying are very true. It's just, for some reason, it just kind of clicks with me. And I can admit, all, like, the fucking slapstick comedy is very, very silly. But, you know, this is a film that's in my annual holiday rotation. And I get a lot of joy out of. Because the parts that are meant to be good are really good. And the parts that are meant to be very uh, pandering are. The good parts outweigh that for me. So that's why I find myself enjoying it. And also, outside of Sex and City, it's really the only thing I've ever seen Sarah Jessica Parker <laughs> in that I enjoy. Not even the Sex and City movies? The Sex and City movies are absolute garbage. <laughs> I, I think it gets better on the second half. I mean, once you've done... Once you've powered once, through... like Once the, they've abandoned that whole thing where they're trying to make Rachel McAdams not be the hottest person in the movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're done with like the clunky introductions and, you know, I think the movie tries too hard, uh, especially that first... 45 minutes or so, it, you know, it's just trying too hard to, yeah. like, establish how uptight and awkward Sarah Jessica Parker is and how cool the gay people are and all yeah. like, you know, I mean, okay, talk about trying hard. It, I'm going to sound like an asshole, but really, you know, you have, like, the deaf son that is deaf and gay and is dating a guy that's black. And it's just, like, settle down. I mean, it's yeah. just, you know, I don't need to try this hard because I, I, I just like them already. You know, you need to like really, and it's, Which, not, just that, the it's way, not just that, but they shine a spotlight on it later yeah. on. You know, so it's just, just let it be. If they really happen to be like, you know, different like colors and one of them happened to be deaf, then just let it, that be, don't, don't comment on it. Yeah. But I was about to say, by the way, I forgot to jot down the actor's name, but the guy who played that was legitimately deaf. Props to him. Like, He's yeah. great. Like, yeah. Every single, I don't think there's a single member of the cast that, that does a bad job. They're all good. Uh, Dermot Moroni's weird because, like, I don't think I take that back. Yeah, Dermot Moroni's weird. I I forgot about him. I I wouldn't call him bad. It's just his delivery is very strange. I think that's a choice because I mean I've seen him in other movies and he's good in those movies. Mm -hmm. So in this one, I guess he was trying to go for like uptight as well, like you know, older brother and. And he really, he gets better in the second half of the movie once he realizes who he really loves and what he's really supposed to do. And he has that, that amazing scene with Diane Keaton where he, like, you know, breaks down. And, yeah. So it, it's just, it's easy to blame him, but at the same time, you know, I would say the director let it happen. You know, he could have told him that, hey, you need to be a little more charismatic in the first part of the movie. On the other side of that coin, though, I think Luke Wilson, obviously it's not much of a stretch of him to play, like, the laid-back cool guy, but he's great. For what he's doing. Yeah, I'm not a big Luke Wilson fan. I mean, I don't have anything against him, but I'm not really... He's not, like, a reason why I would go watch a movie, and he was he's good in this. He's, he's great. Rachel McAdams is very solid. Like we were talking about during the first half of the movie, it seems like they're doing these things to, like, draw attention away from the, the fact that she's really attractive, but once you get over that she's, like, literally one of the hottest people that's ever lived, she's a great actress, and it's kind of like, also, like I was about to say about Diane Keaton, I don't think they're giving, like, 100% in this, but... Their fifty percent is better than most people's. Oh yeah, yeah, no, especially like the couple times when you get Diane Keaton and Craig T. Nelson together, yeah. you're kind of like, oh yeah, you guys deserve better. You could have <laughs> been, doing, you know, Craig T. Nelson especially because he's like prominent throughout the entire movie yeah. and he's really funny and he's really touching and you kind of like wish that he would just walk on over to whatever they were shooting on the next lot and be part of that instead because yeah. he he deserved better. And that's the thing; it's a very appeasing family like holiday film. 
So a lot of the performances convey that, but I think it's still like all good. Yeah, I, I did feel it so much this time. The first time it really bothered me, and it was just, I felt manipulated. The cancer card, it's like, it's a big card to play. Yeah. And the fact that they do it, and it's like, of course I'm going to have an emotional reaction to, you know, a mom being sick and the kids being sick around the holidays. And, you know, I remember the first time I watched it, I fucking hated the fact that they, you know, jumped to next year. And it's like, how can you not get choked up when you see that family reunited again and she's not there and whatever? That was like their final play. And it's like, you know, even if you hated the movie, I'm going to give you at the end. And that pissed me off. That's like uh, the top in Inception. It's like, <laughs> even if you've been confused and pissed off these past few hours... I gonna, will not let you I'm walk gonna away. I'm going to get you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It did bother me this that much this time, and I think part of it was just, I was like, you know, not fully connected to the movie. You know, I was taking notes, and I already knew what was going to happen, so I was prepared for it. But overall, it, it bothers me a little, because I'm like, it, it's such a big deal that I wish they built a better movie around it if they were going to go, you know, with that. It's definitely a, a film that uses many, many devices to its advantage. Like I said, I like everybody that's involved. I just wish that they were in the movie. That, that first half, I mean, it's not just that they're trying to, like, hide how hot uh, Rachel McAdams is or anything. The, the whole thing feels a little, Again, like... Again, I mean to cut you off, but we were, like, laughing about it. There's that one scene where they put those, like, stupid glasses on her. And, and I'm like, oh, God, I was still like, yeah. yes, please take me, yeah. <laughs> It just feels, like I said, clunky in, in, in the way that they are trying. It feels like they're trying to mimic what it's like to be in a big family that's just like always talking over each other and yeah. always being crazy and whatever. And it just, I'm like, okay, if you're if you're making that kind of movie, that's fine. But the problem is that it, it doesn't gel well with the other part where you're like having real actors portray real emotions, you know, real people, you know, people dealing with death and all that yeah. stuff. You know, it's like they wanted to make two different movies and didn't commit fully to either of them. Yeah, and, and Rachel McAdams is probably the one that suffers the most because she has a lot of that, you know, crazy comedy scenes yeah. the, early on. And on top of that, you know, she's hot. So. Yeah. Claire Danes, again, I, I love this movie, but I'm, I'm going to pick apart things that are wrong with it. You know, sometimes you can defend the things you love and you can also acknowledge what's wrong with them, but... Yeah, she's she's definitely wasted. She's an incredibly talented actress, and she's like meant for nothing more than just like they could have cast any attractive blonde person to be in that role. And it's really weird because I really I don't think that the movie gives you a reason to believe to really root for Dublin Maroney to like hook up with her to really be with her. You know, I can see why he would be attracted to her. I don't see why she would be attracted to him. You're pulling more for Luke Wilson. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, because he's like, oh, that's cool that he's attracted to the weird girl. You know, yeah. I hope that they work out. But Claire Dave could be a lot... She could do a lot better yeah. in, in this movie. And there's no reason why, really. Because Devil Moore Ronnie, I mean, it's not even as he's like... Looking his best in this movie. I mean, he has a fucking turtleneck. And Dude, whoever dressed him for this movie. <laughs> I mean, I know it was ten years ago, but good lord. But also, she kind of disappears. It's weird, you know. She she comes in and she's very prominent in some scenes, and there are scenes where like she fades into the background, even though she shouldn't. When there's like all the chaotic stuff going on, everybody's involved except for her. She mm -hmm. just kind of disappears. Well, her and and the the two like the gay brother and and his partner, they also kind of like fade away. I guess it's tricky, you know, when you have such a large cast, you kind of have to justify why they're not. The oldest daughter like, Susanna is the same way too. She just kind of that's true. Yeah. That's true. But you know what? She's pregnant, so I'll let her like. Okay, well, she was just sitting down. <laughs> she was just resting her feet. <laughs> yeah, she couldn't deal with all the craziness. You were commenting on it in the earlier portion. I think the scene in the bathroom between the two of them is actually really funny. 
clearly. It is funny. Yeah. It is funny. I laughed at seeing her just smelling the soap. Yeah, and, and just kind of like looking over to her. And Sarah Jessica Parker's calling in life is not comedic timing. I don't know how many takes it took for them to get that scene right, but it plays very well. And she's... I'm so ashamed. Like, that that was legitimately funny. The funniest people around are, obviously, Luke Wilson, Craig T. Nelson. Dan and Keaton somewhat, but... Oh, and Paul Schneider. I was about to say, yeah, no, who we Paul... haven't gotten to during the Real Talk portion. Paul Schneider, as soon as he shows up, is like the comedic beacon of hope for the rest of the movie. Yes, he comes in and just, like, every single choice he makes from playing that character is just perfect. Yeah. Uh, and I remember specifically the first time I saw that, just busting out laughing, where she tells... Everett, I'm not going to marry you, and he just busts out laughing in front of the whole family and then quickly, like, corrects himself. Is it when she says that, or is it when she says she slept with his brother? Uh, it's when she says, I, I will not marry you. And then okay. he's just like, yeah. ah. Either way, it was, like, really inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> he's great, He's and I've forgotten he was in it. I mean, I guess the first time I saw it, I didn't know him, so. He had not yet become Mark Brandanowitz. No, so. he, he did not. He was just some guy. I don't know if Elizabeth Town was before or after this. Ooh. Either way, when I saw Elizabeth Town, I was not thinking that's the guy from Heavenly Stone. And when I saw this, I was not thinking that's the guy from Elizabeth Town. So. Damn, Elizabeth Town. That might have to be a, a 2015 <laughs> exclusive. <laughs> Maybe we'll do like the opposite of that one because I think I, I feel better about that movie than you do. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, Family Stone's on the table right now. Yeah. So you enjoyed it more this time around? I did, but it's not still a movie. I, it's not a movie I recommend. I'll, I would think it's manipulative, and I think it wastes its its actors. It has a great cast and wastes them, and, and it has serious problems with tone. I think that it, it should have either committed to being a crazy comedy or committed to being a, more of like a drama about like this family losing the matriarch. I think one of the major, major reasons I probably do like it so much is because it's it tries to be different than all of the fucking generic, bland-ass comedy shit that comes out every right. Christmas. Right, okay, you can make a case for it, like, trying something different, but, and I'll give it points for that, but then it doesn't work. Okay. You know, I and I think that maybe a different, you know, director, a different screenwriter, maybe they could have worked this better into something that blended better. The problem is, like, so many of those films that have everyone's a name cast, that's the problem with, like, um... Fuck, what are the... New Year's Eve and Valentine's Day and all those, like, modern things. It's like, just let everyone get their shit in. And it tries to tell a cohesive story. And obviously it does fail on some ends, but I I don't know. I, I it sometimes come up short talking about when I defend, like, why I like it so much. But I think there's things that are at least noteworthy about it and almost admirable to some extent. I will have to... I haven't checked to see what the Rotten Tomatoes score is for Homeford Holidays. But that reminds me a little bit of this, like, tone-wise, because this comedy this also has, like, a lot of, like, serious, dramatic parts. I think that one does a better job, from what I remember, I haven't seen it in forever. I think that one does a better job of keeping the tone consistent. right, consistent the entire time. Uh, it has, like, it, and it has a bunch of, like, name actors. I mean, it has Holly Hunter and Robert Downey Jr., before he was, like, a huge, you yeah. know, before Iron Man. And, uh, <laughs> and he has, of course, what's his name from... From Cocoon and uh, Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> the Good. The Good is like in a, in a small part. But I think that one, if it's slow enough, we should do it. It's a contrast next Thanksgiving. Because it's all about Thanksgiving on that one. I couldn't help it but subconsciously comparing this one to that one, you know, as far as tone-wise. And this one, it's more jarring. 51% though? You think it's you agree with that? or 
Yeah, I think that actually reflects exactly how I feel. It's, you know, Just 50, dead in the middle? Dead in the middle. It has some really good stuff that's brought down, but all the bad stuff that it has in it. 51 is good. What, what would be your score? I, I don't like this where we don't agree. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I would probably have like a 75. 75%. Way too high. Come on. That's just... It's not perfect, but I, I, I think it's just delightful. I think you're not being objective. I think you're, you're bringing all that baggage, all the tradition of like, yeah. you know, the Mattis family watching it every year. Yeah, it's, it's it a you. delightful film. You have a very likable Luke Wilson. <laughs> and it's just, uh, it, it just, it becomes part of you. I guess it's become part of you. <laughs> I've seen it only twice, and that's, that's enough. We can agree on this. As far as theatrical releases go, it's probably the best film Sarah Jessica Parker's been in. Uh, you know, I would have to look at... Maybe I Honeymoon think, in Vegas with Nick Cage. But. Uh, <laughs> what is the New York Rhapsody or something? The one with Antonio Banderas? I know that's not better. That's also really bad. Okay, New Year's Eve, I don't know how she does it, Six and City 2, do you hear about the Morgans spinning into butter? You're I, proving I, my point, I man. can tell you I haven't seen most of these. <laughs> Failure to launch, Strangers with Candy, Sex and the City, Life Without Dick. Okay, I think, oh no, you know what? State of Maine is an awesome movie, and apparently she's in it. I don't remember her, but she's <laughs> State of Maine, written and directed by David Mamet. Who is she in it? I don't remember her. Da- Great movie. David Mamet of Red Belt fame. Yes, yeah. exactly. But yeah, that's that's an awesome movie. It's about a movie crew making a movie. It's a movie about making a movie. All right. Well, you didn't have to disprove my point, but I've done it. That's because you know what I win at the end. Well, but you know what we can say that it's the best Sarah Jessica Parker movie you have seen. That has to count for something. It will be the best Sarah Jessica Parker movie I will have ever seen when it's all said and done. So. Yeah, there you go. Unless I make you watch State of Maine. So. Well, in the end, you know, we eventually had to disagree on something. So yeah. it only took what four episodes. Yeah. And it might as well be a highly enthralling film for us to be one to disagree on. We go from one end of the spectrum to the other, as on the next episode of The Contrarians, it will be a wonderful life, as we will wish you all a Merry Christmas and aim to disprove the, the Rotten Tomato. Yeah, it's like in the high 90s. I look forward to watching this movie for the first time and hating it. Until the next time, Julio, take care. Have a Merry Christmas. That's right. That's going to do it for us on The Contrarians here. We're right, you're wrong. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to The Contrarians. On your way out, be sure to swing over to youtube.com backslash ovniofilms. That's O-V-N-I-O films. And check out The New Adventures of Baby Jesus, a web series created and written by The Contrarians' very own Julio Oliveira. Some um, new movie where he's a boxer. Have you seen a still from it? No. It's fucking crazy, man. Jake Gyllenhaal's ripped as fuck. It's funny because he's really skinny and weaselly and nightcrawler. As if he could be hotter. <laughs> <laughs>